Welcome to Amateur Film School. I am Sarah. And I am Norman Brandon. <laughs> this week we're talking about uh, Psycho. By the great Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, the late and great. If you're new here, every week we talk about a different movie and kind of go into what they did right. Yes, and sort of we try to pick iconic movies in a way and then sort of tell you why we think they deserve to be iconic or why they are. Yeah. So. Psycho. <laughs> Psycho starring Brandon, I mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. Starring Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates. And Janet Lee as Marion Crane. Yes. Yes. So for the three of you out there who have not seen Psycho. I was one of you until until now. So. Yes. <laughs> Don't feel too bad. Um, Psycho is about the character Marion Crane who is a secretary for a real estate firm, it seems like. Yeah, I think so. And she, one day, in order to run away with her boyfriend, steals $40,000 from her boss and um, is on the lam, and that's like the first half of the movie. Right. And then on her little travels, I guess she stops by at the Bates Motel. Mm-hmm. Which... Which you may have heard of recently because there is now a TV show about it. Yeah, um... I think it's interesting because, like, so Psycho is so iconic, but Alfred Hitchcock didn't want them to touch it. Mm -hmm. And so then it's, like, after they died, all of a sudden there's, like, 50 TV shows and remakes and prequels and all this stuff. But Bates Motel is supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, you'd have to wonder, would he be proud of what they've done with his work after he's dead? Yeah. Do you think there's anyone who doesn't know, like, what this movie is? Um... Like, you said you hadn't seen it before, Yeah, but I, I... I knew kind of what it was about, and there's, uh the famous shower scene that happens in it um i feel like everyone knows about that at least yeah and everybody parodies it right so um uh, let's just jump right into it what do you think of the acting i felt like um for the first half of the movie when marion is in it because spoiler alert she's murdered um in that shower scene um she's a very expressive actress oh um, definitely those eyebrows yeah girl. her eyes they tell like a lot of the story um because she does spend a lot of the time alone because she's trying to run away and she's being chased by the cop and she feels very, uh, what's it called? Paranoid? Yeah. She's very paranoid. Um, so I feel like she pulled that off really well because she didn't have anyone to talk to or anyone to express how she was feeling to. Um, and then they use that... a lot that, of emoting. Right, with just her face uh, and her actions. And um, we talked about, uh, while we were watching it, um, the voices in her head type thing where because she has no one to express those feelings to and no one to use dialogue with they use that technique of uh you know playing out conversations in a voiceover yeah yeah it seems kind of corny now just because i mean it kind of goes back to that showing not telling thing right right? but it really gave the actress i think something to do Mm -hmm. because she was just driving basically yeah um because because i feel like now they would actually show those conversations it wouldn't just take Mm -hmm. place in her head but i think janet lee was like a I don't know that she was a really big star, but Hitchcock really wanted people to, like, watch her. Yeah. You know. Um, And then Anthony Perkins, who plays the iconic role of Norman Bates, I feel like he was also very expressive. Mm -hmm. Also, very good eyebrows. There's a lot of good eyebrows in this movie. A lot of good eyebrows in this movie. Yeah. Like, that, like, really, like, thick... Anyway. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Like, even Norman Bates. Like, I'm just going to post a picture of his eyebrows. Yeah? Yeah. Anthony Perkins, I think, was a really... I think he was really perfect for this role. Because he's kind of on that... 
that cusp of like you can't tell how old he is yeah the age cusp where it's like he looks really young but he also looks like a fully grown adult at the same time well he's like so much taller than and everybody yeah that too yeah but he like constantly hunches yeah, he hunches and, and his clothing uh, yeah. you brought that up um they have him in oversized clothing kind of to make him look smaller than he is yeah like the other week we talked about in romeo and juliet in order to make leonardo dicaprio look younger mm-hmm. they put him in like oversized suit coats and stuff and they i feel like they do that with norman too yeah where he's like he doesn't he never really looks comfortable mm-hmm. in anything and i think that really speaks to perkins acting mm-hmm. you know because like even you can ask him a basic question and he just seems so uncomfortable right and you it's know? because he's hiding yeah his mind isn't all there which is what you come to discover by the end of the movie yeah hitchcock was definitely really fascinated by psychology right you can see in all of his movies like vertigo um have you seen any of his other movies i've seen north by northwest okay this um and of course i've heard of you know all the other ones yeah spellbone i think was before this i want to say i can Mm -hmm. fact check that later but um in spellbound 2 he like really delves into kind of like like it's kind of like the origin of psychological thrillers i think Mm -hmm. is from alfred hitchcock yeah you could tell he's really interested in psychology because um at the end of this movie where the psychologist is like explaining how norman's mind was working that was Mm -hmm. like a really long scene where he basically explained how the brain was functioning and like what caused him to be like that and that's so normal to us now Mm -hmm. you know and so like watching it from a modern perspective you're like why why is he explaining psychology right like Like, psychiatry like people go to therapy all the time now and it's so normal Mm -hmm. back then though it was like very hush hush you know it's like behind closed doors you know so it took like this five minute scene to really explain this is what's going on and the character in this movie basically and to explain it to the audience really that this is something that actually happens too yeah trying to think if there's any other really standout roles well, there was the detective, the private detective. Yeah. For some reason, I just gravitated to disliking him because he was really pestering. Yeah. But that was his job, um, and I guess the actor did pull it off because it made me feel something. Well, he's a private eye. You right, know? He's yeah. kind of like, ah, oh, City Cigar, like, hey, where's yeah. the girl, you mm-hmm. know? We can move on to talking about directing more because we, we were mentioning Hitchcock and his other movies. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Hitchcock is like... I feel like even if you've never seen a Hitchcock movie, you, you know the name. You've heard his name for sure, yeah. In his directing, he wanted to do... Because he had been doing big budget set pieces, like mm-hmm. North by Northwest, with big name actors. Yeah. That was... God, what was his name? Is it I think there's a computer. Yeah. Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Yeah, yeah so Cary. North by Northwest, I think, was the movie right before this that he had done. Mm-hmm. And it was like this big budget movie, you know, it was in full color. And he wanted to kind of tone it down. Yeah. Um, and so kind of just like go back to basics, where... For this, he used... I didn't know this. He used mostly a television crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he really wanted to do this, like, kind of... Not toned down, necessarily, but... What is it called when something's toned down? When you're, like... Now, it's, like, acoustic, but for movies. Acoustic, but for movies. Yeah. <laughs> so just go with that. <laughs> deconstructed. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, deconstructed is what I'm what I meant. Because... Like, another thing was, like, people were saying that in order to get past the censors, that's why he did it in black and white, mm-hmm. so he could show the blood. Yeah. But really, it was just because black and white film was cheaper. Yeah. Um, this movie was made, like, really cheaply. Mm-hmm. You know, even the studios didn't really back it, and they were just like, well, whatever. Yeah. And so, in, st- in lieu of his salary, where mm-hmm. he was supposed to be getting paid, like, $250,000 for the movie... Instead, he was like, oh, I'll take 60% of the film profits. And they were like, oh, okay, you're well, going to make like $2, you yeah. know. He ended up making $15 million. 
which yeah which equivalent today i think it's like 150 million something like that Mm -hmm. which is like ridiculous yeah you know you think like studios would learn because they did that same thing with george lucas Mm -hmm. where he was like they're like oh okay yeah here's a million dollars make your movie blah 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 and he's like okay can i keep some of the film profits they're like yeah sure you're not gonna make much yeah and then you know he's a billionaire now right yeah um that has nothing to do with his directing ability (laughs) i just think it's interesting the way studios work yeah but he has a very like everything is in the frame for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like I really love his compositions. Like I was talking about, my favorite shot was the one at the end. Yeah, with that slow zoom into um, Norman Bates, Norman, who yeah. at this point is just like gone completely off his rocker, mm-hmm. and is like his mother. Yeah, basically like split personality, where then the other personality becomes dominant. Yeah, but yeah, I really like that like slow zoom in on Norman, and it's just like it's so creepy, right? And right. And especially when he, like, looks up and stings the camera. Mm-hmm. And then there's that, I don't know if it was there, but I saw it. Um, they did, like, an overlay of his Yeah, his it was definitely face. there. Yeah, it was there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's almost subliminal. Yeah. Because, like I said, I didn't even know if it was really there, but I thought I saw it. Yeah. So they really worked it in there so smoothly. Yeah, it's, like, really creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, like, on Entertainment Weekly's, like, top scariest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the way that hitchcock directed it it really stands the test of time some of it may seem corny but even though like we can talk about the iconic shower scene you knew what was happening Mm -hmm. the second she turned the shower on you're like she's gonna die in there yeah yeah but there's still something like with the music and the way that it's framed it's still so Mm -hmm. creepy yeah right because it like flips it and you're like in the shower with her Mm -hmm. and you see the door slowly creak open and then there's a figure standing in the doorway it's like, still like that whole like sequence they, there were so many angles of the shots they used mm-hmm. and like you kept waiting for something to happen because it's like okay so she's in the shower but you knew something was going to happen you're like when is it going to happen and then it does yeah um but then it like slows down like the door opens and then it like hangs for, for for a second and then the figure comes up to the curtain and it hangs for a second yeah and then they like they show what's happening and that's one thing that i really like about older movies is they're not afraid to hold long shots right those are really important I feel where you just frame your shot and then you just let your actors move within that yeah. frame because you, you spent that time framing it you might as well like get your the time's worth out of it yeah I mean now it's so commonplace for there when in action sequences for there to be like 50 cuts yeah it just goes back and forth boom 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 yeah and I feel like it's really overused but it's like so in the shower scene it's holds in the shower with her mm-hmm. as the figure slowly creeps in and then ends up stabbing her and then after the action takes place that's when it's like a lot of crazy yeah cuts. it gets yeah it gets chaotic because that's what's actually happening in it yeah and it feels more chaotic than now where you're using that method throughout the entire movie right. and it really loses its impact mm-hmm. what was your favorite shot my favorite shot because I feel like it's the first one that we got to see since we started doing this, was the zoom dolly shot where um, the detective, whose name sounds like some mystical genie. Oh, it was... um, Arbogast. 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 The detective, um, the private eye or whatever, he goes into uh, Bates' house to find his mother. um, And he goes up the staircase, and then the figure comes up, which is his mom. Air quotes, his mom. It's Norman comes Bates. Out. Yeah. We can say it. It's Norman Bates. Yeah. He comes out <laughs> <Spoiler> and <alert>. <laughs> stabs the detective who's trying to find his mother. Um, and then as it's happening, uh, they use the zoom dolly shot or the zolly shot, which is basically 
you zoom out in or out while you dolly in the opposite direction. Um, and it's a shot that you don't see too often because most filmmakers think that it's it looks too crazy, it looks too like out of place. Um, but when used in the right time, which I definitely think they did here, um, it really helps. Uh, it really helps get into the mind of the character because it looks uh, it's distortion because it's not something that you see in real life because perspective changes and the background is like pulled away mm-hmm. while the subject remains the same size. So you're like, what's going on? And it it's used as a way to get into the character's head because he just got stabbed by this like crazy person that ran out of the room in front of him. Um, so what's going through his head is like, oh my god, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah um, and it's like well i didn't expect this to happen blah 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 and that's like his head is going crazy so they use that shot to really convey that message so that's my favorite shot probably yeah and i had never realized like before you explained it like that's how they did it because mm-hmm. you see it um not too often right. but it is very like disorienting mm-hmm. because it's like whenever it's like because movies have a language yeah and it's when people start talking in a different way yeah. Is that what you want to say? Yeah, yeah. It's like of. when they start speaking in Spanish, all of a sudden... It's like if someone... Yeah, if someone is speaking to you in English, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they start speaking to you in Spanish. It's like, very disorienting. Yeah. Because your brain is expecting English, so your brain is still kind of mm-hmm. following the path of the conversation. Right. But it's not understanding anything. Exactly. So when you use that weird shot that you've never seen before, it really grabs your attention, and you're like, whoa. Yeah. It seems really tame by today's standards, the mm-hmm. way... Um, he kind of composes his shots and like the suspense building and all of that but at the time it was just like no one really did like slasher flicks right right uh, and definitely up until this point horror movies were like oh the swamp thing frankenstein mm-hmm. those kind of like b movies mm-hmm. right there um i'm not gonna say that there never was because i don't want to put myself in that <laughs> yeah. corner but it really changes i feel like the attitude mm-hmm. where Monsters aren't these mythological, you know, supernatural figures. Yeah, just Monsters like, are... They're the person that owns the motel down the street. Yeah, they're the people next door. Right. And it really changes that kind of perspective mm-hmm. where you're coming out of the 50s where it's a time of, like, very kind of repressed emotion, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then it's like, bam, you're in the 60s, sex all over the place. Right. You know, people dying left and right, civil rights movements, where it's this very big counterculture to what the 50s were. Which is like the good, wholesome family. Yeah, like you're coming out of World War Two. everybody has like the, the nice house with a white picket fence, right. you know, 2.5 kids, mm-hmm. dog, you know. Mom's making dinner and his dad comes home from work. And, yeah. yeah, it's very like plastic, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And then you hit the 60s and you can see a lot of like response to that and i think psycho is definitely a response to that because if you look at the imagery yeah um where you have bates who is a very repressed character and it's not like he ever has to they do kind of explain it at the end with the detective and he's like oh you know bates is really repressed yeah but you get hints of it throughout the entire thing oh yeah for sure yeah so like um when uh what's her name what's her name the sister. The sister. Yeah. When the sister uh, creeps into the house, because this is always a great idea, creeping into Bates' house. Yeah, um, they to didn't find... know. <laughs> they didn't know, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> to find his mother, again. Um, she finds his, like... I don't want to call it a playroom, that's weird. Bedroom. But, like, his bedroom. <laughs> and there's, like, stuffed animals in it. And yeah. then there's also, like, this record, which is, like, 
basically the music equivalent of porn. Well, it says erotica. Right. But, um, and a lot of people have been going crazy thinking that it means something, mm-hmm. but really someone was like, or it's the obvious, and it says erotica. Yeah. And he just took the T off because he didn't want to push it too far. Yeah, and then she also finds this book, and she has this look on her face, but you never see what it is, but you can pretty much guess. Yeah, that it's she's not... finding pornography. Right. And it's just like this juxtaposition of childhood and Super adulthood. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's Norman Bates' brain is like mm-hmm. broken between those two. Right. And it's like repressed because it's just in his one little bedroom. But then when he's out, like in the office or whatever, he's being like this kind, hey, welcome to my motel type of guy. Yeah, there's like a lot of like hidden things mm-hmm. beneath. Um, another one of my favorite shots is the one when Marion um, gets to the motel. And um, they're in his back office eating sandwiches, mm-hmm. you know? And when he first turns around in the room, after he turns the light on and he stands up, and there's, like, a like an owl behind him mm-hmm. ready to attack. And yeah. it was like, this... Like, you don't just do that on accident. Yeah. You know? I think... I feel like putting the owl behind him like that, like, mm-hmm. you could read it as... Um, a lot of the time, like, wings behind someone is, like, an angel kind of thing. Yeah. But the fact that the bird is in, like, attack mode. Right. And then if you look at the room that he gets her, there's a lot of small songbirds on the wall. Mm-hmm. So it's this, like... It's sort of like the big versus the small, predator versus prey. Yeah, like yeah. the like the owl, mm-hmm. you know, what is it, birds of prey is what right. they're called? Yeah. Birds of prey, and then small songbird yeah is her mm-hmm. right and it's about to swoop in and attack yeah at least that's how i interpret it yeah because like, it's then, just like why else would it be there right and also in that uh in the parlor scene where she's eating a sandwich or whatever i felt like the lighting was really important mm-hmm. um lighting is always important in film uh and i felt like he had a lot of shadows on him uh because you know you're trying to figure out who he is and he's hiding stuff but you can't really tell yeah and it's kind of weird and then she had more of like a soft lighting on her because you know she's like the innocence or whatever or she doesn't know what's about to happen. Well, that was an interesting that I had noticed where in the beginning when she's scantily clad in bed with her boyfriend, mm-hmm. which was also a really big thing at the time. Yeah. So it's like, <gasps> you know, because I mean, you come from I Love Lucy, they won't even show a married couple in bed yeah. to now where you're showing an, an unmarried, unmarried couple, couple, both shirtless in bed together, yeah. but she's wearing white clothing mm-hmm. and she has a white purse. Yeah. And then after she steals the money... She's t- she's carrying on a black purse. She has a black purse and a and black she's bra. she's a black bra, yeah. Yes. It could have just been laundry day, we don't know. But <laughs> I'm assuming Hitchcock meant like, oh, she did a bad thing. Yeah, now you've got to look unclean. Yeah. In everything that you do. Uh, let me think of like, are there any other visuals we want to talk about? Well, there's always rain. Oh, yeah. You, you go talk about your rain. I'm going <laughs> to so she- get a drink. While she's driving away... Um, it starts to rain uh, just before she finds the motel. And obviously, I've talked about rain before. Um, that's a definitely a turning point in the movie. I'm because call you Rain Man. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> if she hadn't stumbled, if it weren't for the rain, she probably wouldn't have stopped at that motel. And then mm-hmm. none of everything that happens afterwards probably wouldn't have happened. Um, so it works as a plot device and as a signal of, hey, this is about where things are about to get different. And it's not that everything had been going good for her before that, but. You know, she'd made it out of town with the money or whatever, but now that she's hit this motel, uh, it's where things start to go downhill, I guess. I think it definitely changes the movie from just being a suspense movie, Mm because talking about North by Northwest, where he's running throughout the whole movie, Mm -hmm. you know, if you know that movie and you know Hitchcock, you go into this movie, you're like, oh shit, she stole money, we're going to follow this hour and a half of her running away from this. Right. 
But then it's like, it starts raining, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, just kidding. Just kidding. She's going to be stuck here now, and then the story's going to go in this direction. Yeah. And I guess that's a good time to bring up the MacGuffin, which is always fun. Um, if yeah, you don't you love, know. That's like another thing that you love. You yeah. love rain and MacGuffins. Rain and MacGuffins. So if you don't know what a MacGuffin is, it's sort of like a an object or an idea or a, a plot element, basically, mm-hmm. that you think is important, but by the time the plot plays out, it turns out it's really not important at all. So um, one of the big ones in this one is um, the $40,000 because, you know, she steals it and you're like, oh, this is what this movie is going to be about. It's about her being chased because she stole money. But then the rain hits, she gets stuck at the at the motel, and then it no longer becomes about the money. It becomes about her, you know, being killed or whatever. And then actually she becomes the second MacGuffin um, after she's murdered because then her boyfriend and her sister and the private investigator are all looking to find out what happened to her. And then it turns out that it's more than just her being murdered. It's like, why was she murdered by Norman Bates? And it's because he's a crazy person. Um, Hitchcock actually popularized the term. Yeah. Yeah, so Hitchcock actually popularized the term. He used it in his 1935 film, 39 Steps. And then, well, the Maltese Maltese Falcon is the one I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. Where, I mean, the movie is named after it. So you're thinking like, oh, this diamond-encrusted falcon is really important. And And then it turns out to not be. Yeah. Yeah. As a plot device, I think it's kind of like a bait-and-switch. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's the movie version of a bait-and-switch. It's probably one of my one of my favorite plot devices because it's so it's it seems kind of like corny yeah and it feels like why would you do that to your viewers yeah but then again it also it's something that grabs their attention so much Mm -hmm. that when it no longer matters anymore they really get invested to what's happening because you're like well now that didn't matter so what did i miss that led up to where we are now yeah and it really makes them reevaluate everything that's happened so far i feel people use it the wrong way though like sometimes um i don't want to talk about m night Shyamalan, but m night Shyamalan. (laughs) so plot twist yeah, like, he'll introduce something, and he'll be like, ooh, it's a MacGuffin, and then it's not important at all. Yeah. And just like, why why did I waste an hour and a half of my life? But right. I think if it's used properly, mm-hmm. then um, it works really well to enhance the plot, because then it's kind of like a misdirect that exactly, way. yeah, yeah. Where it's like, oh, we were following, um, what is it, in The Matrix, the girl in the red dress? Like, she could kind of be a MacGuffin, because he, like, pays attention to her, and it's like, no, 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 she's not important. Yeah. You got distracted. Right. You know, but it's not annoying. Mm-hmm. It's when it's annoying that it's annoying, you know? That makes total sense. Yeah. By definition, when it's annoying, it's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, Saul Bass. Do you know who Saul Bass is? Yes. He did the title cards for this yes. movie. He did the title cards for a lot of Hitchcock's movies. Oh, yeah. He's really popular in the design world, too. Mm-hmm. Um, like graphic design? Graphic design. Right. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> I don't know how many freaking design classes I went to yeah. where it was like, so Saul Bass. It's like, okay. Oh, him again. Yeah. Not that he doesn't deserve it. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's just like... They're really memorable. Um, even while watching this one, which I thought was pretty cool because it mm-hmm. did like the lines and stuff. Um, I was remembering North by Northwest, which I'm sure he did too because it was a Hitchcock movie as well. Yeah. Um, they're really fun. Uh, I feel like he did... A, I don't know exactly what their technology was like at the time, but it seems like it was kind of advanced for the time. I don't want to use terms that are incorrect right but i want to say rotoscoping uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but no he had like a very memorable style with this um modernist approach to it yeah that's what that's what i was thinking it seems like it was more ahead of their time maybe? yeah well because like i feel like up until salt bass a lot of the times tile cards were just like there's no art to them yeah it was more just like names on a it screen. was typography sorry um <laughs> It was, like, type 
on a screen and it was like this person did this you yeah. know but Saul Bass was basically like the precursor to um, motion graphics mm-hmm. where instead of just being like this is who's in the movie it's like oh bam this is who's in the movie now yeah Yeah. and you see it referenced so much i feel like even in captain america winter soldier oh yeah like that very like they only use three colors in the title cards Mm -hmm. you know and it's very um illustrative yeah and like in the first one um i'm remembering distinctly right now where they show like the different art of this of the time and like it shows their names and it's like really appropriate because like when it shows this character there's like this type of art behind it uh, like when it shows Peggy, it showed Rosie the Riveter or whatever. We're talking about the Captain America, the First Avenger. First Avenger, yeah, yeah, because that's what like popped into my mind when you talked about Captain America, uh, because that those title cards I felt were really good, and I could definitely see how it's evolved from Saul Bass's work. Yeah, it's probably a lot easier now. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I could probably whip something up on my computer. Right. Not discrediting Saul Bass, I'm just saying. <laughs> we have way more to work with than he did. Yeah, and I think it's because of him. You know, he definitely pioneered. Because it, then it's like when everybody's doing the same thing, and then if you do something different, it stands out. Yeah, obviously. sometimes in a bad way, right. but for his case, it was a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you think of the music? Um, I feel like I say this every time, but it's like it really worked in this movie. Um, but I guess there's sort of a difference because before we kind of talked about how it was more in the background mm-hmm. and more like it flows with the scene and it just sort of helps you, you know, like keep attached to it. But here, it like grabs your attention. Um, it was like it was really big in this movie. Uh, yeah, I feel like it was a a big part of it. Well, Hitchcock even said that thirty three percent of the effect of Psycho was due to the music, which I can definitely see. He okay, hear. so the composer was Bernard Herman. Uh huh. Um, Hitchcock was so impressed with him that he doubled the dude's salary because oh, wow. he he was like this guy basically made the movie. Yeah, and that like that ending kind of music where it's like yeah. Mm-hmm. that's so like iconic yeah now. that's what you think of when you hear a horror movie yeah and it's like it's one of those things too where, where people just parody it all the time like mm-hmm. you hear it everywhere yeah i don't know that there's any more to really talk about the music i mean it is it's very attention grabbing mm-hmm. and it definitely ups the what i want to call it tension the tension yeah that like oh god just like there's like the pulling on the mm-hmm. strings it's just yeah. like <gasps> you can like feel it like inside you yeah yeah speaking of music if you noticed last week and this week we recently added an intro song to the beginning of our podcast yeah it was created by a really good friend of ours simeon williams um you can look up up his band called the black hills on facebook and soundcloud um if you're into like really kind of like folksy kind of i would almost compare them to mumford and sons oh yeah i can definitely hear that yeah in their music um, um that really kind of like like grassroots type yeah band. that's the word i was looking for grassroots yeah so they're really good um again thank you simian if you're listening to this thank you october continues next week yes next with... week we'll be watching alien wait did you have any other thoughts on the movie um, coming us from here how about this we'll wrap it all up coming in from someone who had never seen the movie before obviously i really like it yeah what did you I think i really of it? like it um it's definitely a classic it's definitely iconic um i'm not surprised that you picked it yeah uh, for october um like you said ew rated it as one of the scariest movies mm-hmm. um and it's not like just because it's scary it has to be like jump scare and ghosts or the supernatural or whatever yeah um something as scary as like what the human mind can become 
Yeah, it's one of those ones that'll stick with you. Right. It's not scary when you watch it, necessarily. It's scary when you're, like, laying in bed at night trying to go to sleep. Yeah, or, like, getting into the shower, and then you're like, did I close the door? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, before we go, I just wanted to share this one little tiny (laughs) bit of trivia. Yeah. So, this was the first on-film... Where is it? Let me find it. Yeah. First film ever to show a toilet flushing on screen so way to go hitchcock (laughs) really breaking boundaries yeah flushing (laughs) toilets (laughs) yeah um so we're starting to kind of wind down so where can people find us brandon they can find us on twitter and facebook um just search for amateur film school if you have any suggestions for movies you want to hear us talk about or movies we should just watch or if you just want to invite us out for drinks and then us not show up you can email us (laughs) (laughs) At amateurfilmschool at gmail.com. Yes, that was what I was trying to say. Unless you're Leonardo DiCaprio, because we still want to get drinks with you. Yes. Just tweet them every week. Yeah. We'll have to respond eventually, Eventually, right? eventually. Yeah. All right, I think that's about it. Thanks, cool. everybody. That's a wrap. Oh, my God. <laughs>